0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabaniss. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be together. Uh, Thanks for being here. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And if we're not met, I hope that that will soon be remedied and I could meet you. We're really glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest. Uh, with us today. We we are uh, working our way through the book of Acts, which is this fascinating book in the New Testament that describes what the first church was like when Christianity all began in the first century after the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, What happened? And this is kind of a history uh, of that. And last week we read about sort of the first step in Paul's missionary journey. Uh, He was in a City called Antioch, this cosmopolitan city, and they, uh, the Holy Spirit led them to send out Paul and Barnabas as sort of the first two missionaries, in a sense, uh, from uh, into the Gentile world to bring the good news, and and the the church commissioned them and prayed for them and. Uh, Sent them on their way, and they went to the island of Cyprus, which is this beautiful place um, and that 's where they began Now we have a map we, I showed you this map last week it 's a low tech map, but it, it works. So you see Antioch on the right syria antioch sorry i don 't have my laser I'm something to use my finger today to get a point, but uh, they were in Antioch. The two of them went down with John Mark to Seleucia, and then they sailed to Cyprus. You see that on the bottom, Salamis they were there, and then they went to Paphos. And in Paphos, they met the guy who uh, represented The Roman government in that area. He's called the proconsul. He oversaw that area. His name is Sergius Paulus, and he became converted to Christianity, which is just an amazing story. He heard the good news about Jesus, and he believed and became a Christian there. And uh, then I'm going to read the next verses. We're going to read the rest of chapter 13 in segments. So I'm going to read verses 13 to 15, and then we'll come back to this map and uh, see where they went next. So listen to God's word as we read 13 to 15. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And so... Let's uh, look at where they went. This just describes us. This passage just describes to us. So they were in Paphos. there at the bottom of the map. They sailed up to Perga, which was in Pamphylia. And then from there, they went up to Antioch. You see at the very top of the map, uh, there, I hope you're able to, to go, see Galatia and go left. So it's right there at the top of the map, Antioch in Pisidia. So they started in Antioch, I, I get that, and now they're in a, another Antioch. There are 16 Antiochs in the Roman Empire, a little uh, confusing. Um, but they're all named after a guy named Antiochus uh, who lived like three centuries earlier. And so they're now in this Pisidian Antioch and the question could be, you know, why are they landing there? And uh, the sermon we're about to read is preached there to the uh, people in the synagogue. Why is it that they went there? Well, uh, first of all, it wasn't easy to get there. Maps don't show this, but to go from uh, Perga up to Antioch, they had to cross really treacherous Terrain, which was the Taurus mountains, so it 's easy to just say, "Oh, they went from point A to point B and just sort of glamorize missions. but this was an arduous task when you read Paul in second Corinthians describe what it was like to be an apostle he 's talking about daily being in danger of robbers, of beasts, uh, lacking food and basic necessities, so it 's not like a, this is a fun You know, missionary trip where Paul took pictures and posted them up on Instagram. And, you know, this is arduous. Nothing wrong with doing that, but this is an arduous kind of a thing. And so they end up here in Antioch. Why did they go there? Well, one, it's a strategic city for reaching the rest of Asia Minor, which would be Turkey today. Uh, But another interesting reason is that one of the most influential families in Antioch of Pisidia, historians tell us, was the family of Sergius Paulus. That's where he was from. So the ruler that gets converted down in Paphos is from there, and the. Excuse me, the text doesn't tell us, but it wouldn't take a lot of imagination to, to realize that perhaps the convert that they met, uh, they go to his hometown because there could be open doors there. Perhaps he sent letters of commendation with them or something like that. And that's how mission often works, is that someone is converted and then those they know end up hearing the gospel. And it just made me think about how important that is, that when someone is converted, that it, it opens doors to a whole network of people to hear the gospel. And if you're a new Christian in our church, I want you to know, you, for the sake of mission, are one of the most valuable members of our entire congregation. You may feel like I'm a new believer, I don't have much to offer but you have relationships. There are plenty of Christians in this church who've been saved for a long time. And all of our relationships, or the majority of them, are with people who are already in the church. But if you've lived your life outside of the church, like a Sergius Paulus, outside of the people of God, you know many, many people that need to know the gospel, you're connected to them, and so you could be a doorway, a a bridge to those who don't know the Lord, like perhaps Sergius Paulus was in this situation. Well, in this sermon that Paul's about to preach, that I'm going to read, it, it's in, I'm going to read it in sections, and this first section is really the story of salvation, the story of salvation. So let's read beginning in verse 16. What Paul says to the people in the synagogue when they say, hey, if you got a word, could you bring it? Uh, I don't think they had any idea what they were inviting uh, when they asked that. (laughs) But here's what he says, verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then he asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, Man of the tribe of Benjamin for forty years, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is coming uh, the, uh, is coming one, uh, I'm sorry, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brother, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message, the message of salvation. This is the story of salvation is what he is recording for them. Last Sunday night was the annual Grammy Awards where uh, songs and musicians are honored for their work. And Billie Eilish won the uh, Grammy for Song of the Year. Last Sunday night, it's the song, What Was I Made For?, It's a very popular song. Perhaps you have heard it. Uh, It is from the Barbie soundtrack. I have not seen that movie. I'm making no comment for or against that movie. And I'm also not commenting on the role of that song in the movie because I cannot comment on that. But I do want to comment on the song itself. It is hauntingly beautiful. Uh, The the music is sparse. The vocals are breathy. Um, It is a song in which Eilish and her brother, the author, ask the existential question that everybody asks, why am I here? And the, the, the vibe of the song is like an, a, a, an aching desperation. And I know that's the vibe of the song because I watched the video and on YouTube there are 65,000 comments on the song. And if you read, I didn't read them all, I read a few, and it is person after person uh, unopening their heart and saying, I live with depression. And this song spoke to me. Why am I here? I live with grief. I'm enduring loss. Life doesn't make sense. I feel empty. I once had a purpose, but I've lost my purpose. People just bearing their soul. I couldn't believe it. Just responding to the song. It opens with the words, I used to float now I just fall down. I used to know, but I'm not so sure now. What was I made for? What was I made for? The course is, because I, I don't know how to feel, but I want to try. I don't know how to feel, but someday I might. Someday I might. What was I made for? Why am I here? In this sermon Paul preaches, he indirectly Answers that existential question by telling the story of salvation. Each of us has a life story. Each of us has a reason for being here. We each have a story, but we only find real life when we see how our story is connected to the greater story. Of God, the story of God's salvation. We must understand the greater story of God, which Paul has just laid out for us up to the point of Jesus. He's laid out the Old Testament story. We we must understand uh, the greater story of God and realize how our story connects to God, how our story connects to his purpose. We can only answer the question, what was I made for, with reference to God. Otherwise, we end up writing our own story and creating our own story, our own storyline that will never satisfy, will always be in search of an identity. All the pressure on the young these days, the pressure on Gen Z and Gen A to know you, to create your identity Such a profound pressure, which identity is conferred upon us from God Almighty as we understand the story of what God has done in the world and the story of what God's purposes are for the world, and then to realize that we connect to his story through Christ, through the story of salvation. Paul is preaching to the Jews, and he's rooting them in their history. He's rooting them in their story. See, the message of salvation is not just propositional facts. It is propositional facts. We're sinners. Christ is God, fully God, fully man. Christ died for our sins. Christ rose. Absolutely, those propositions are all true. But the Bible doesn't just present some kind of transactional event as the story of salvation. It actually presents a history of how God has worked. It's the history of a generous God that we just read of. The emphasis is on what God has done. The the passage we just read, as we walk through it, the emphasis is on God's activity. Notice that God is the subject of all the verbs. It is God who acts. And it is when we see what God has done in the history of his world, what God is doing in the history of his world, it's only then that we find our, we can discover our place in God's world and thus find what we were made for In the sermon, Paul demonstrates how the story of salvation is the story of God, the story of a generous God. Verse 17, he starts with, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. He's he's saying that God chose Abraham. He's reminding them of their father Abraham, of course Isaac and Jacob as well, that God chose them. That God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make of you a nation, a people. I'm going to give you a land, and through you, the entire world will be blessed. Now, I know he doesn't say all that, but that's because Luke is giving us a summary. Paul didn't stand up and speak three minutes. He would have spoken more that this is an outline of what he said. This is a summary. So he would have explained, likely, who Abraham was and what he did. And several generations after Abraham, Israel became a great people. They were in the land of Egypt in, under slavery. And it says in verse 17, with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. This is your story, he's telling them. You were, in, you were nothing, and God chose Abraham to give you a purpose. You were enslaved, and God raised up his hand to free you out of slavery, to, to lead you away from the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, to split a sea so that you could walk through it, and your enemies would drown in that sea. Verse 18, and for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. Oh, it's the story of a generous God who rescues a people from slavery. And what do they do after being rescued? They do what you and I do. They complain. They grumble. This isn't, this isn't what we wanted. We should just go back. And the text just says that God put up with them. Uh, one, one version says that he cared for them. Both are true he did put up with them and he did care for them because the story of God is the story of an eternally patient God showing great patience to those who take the very gifts that he provides that look that that experience the very miracles that he does for them and turn away and go their own way Next, he says that God destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave them the land as his inheritance. That God gave them land. You, you don't do anything for an inheritance. You just open your hands and receive it. So he says, God not only freed you from Egypt, but he gave you this inheritance. Verse uh, 19, just a powerful sign After that, he gave them judges, so he brought them into the land. You may remember, we went through the book of Judges, if you've been here, and man, what a story that is, that the people, after all that he'd done from them, uh, delivered them from slavery, gave them a land that they did nothing to earn or deserve, just opened it up for them, and then they start following other gods. And as they follow other gods, uh, other nations come in and take over. And God has to raise up a judge, which was a deliverer, who would deliver his people. It happened time after time after time. But God never gave up on his people. The story of salvation is the story of a generous God who pursues people that often chase idols. That's the story of salvation. That's what our God is like. And then it says that uh, he raised up a prophet, Samuel, And the people all say, we want to be like the nations. We need a king. Everybody's got a king. We need a king. And so he gives them Saul, who reigns for 40 years. And then after that, he raises up this great king, David. Verse 22, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And so he raises up this great king, the greatest king in the history of Israel. He is the prototype king of the great king who will come. He is the archetype, we could say. David is the model king. And after him will come a greater king because, you see, David, well, he was the great king, and yet he committed adultery. He committed murder. David was a fallen man. David was not the king that would rescue Israel, for David was one who was in need of rescue himself. But he was the one that foreshadowed the great king, to come, the greater king, a descendant of David, who would be the Messiah and would bring the ultimate rescue for God's people. He would bring a new kingdom. And under this great king's reign, everybody would experience ultimately life the way it was meant to be, flourishing in relationship with God and with neighbor uh, in a new heaven and new earth ultimately. And the one who would bring that, the promised one, has come. Is what Paul says, verse 23. He says, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. You've longed for salvation. You've longed for freedom. You've longed for right relationship with God. And the one who, is bring, who brings that has come. He is the Lord Jesus. And you all know, he says, John the Baptist told you about him. He said, John the Baptist, who was described as the greatest man born of woman, uh, is what Jesus said. This great man said, I'm not even worthy to tie or untie the Savior's sandals. So the story of salvation is the story of God's provision for his people. He did all of this for them. The story of salvation is the story of God's patience, his indescribable patience For people like you and me who get it one day and obviously don't by their lives the next day. People who sing the praises of God in moments like this and then question whether he exists when we chase other gods throughout the week. The story of salvation is the story of this kind of God who has shown mercy to his people. The story of salvation is the story of grace, which becomes evident in the climax of the story, and that's where he goes next. So if point one's the story of salvation... Point two is the climax of the story of salvation. Look at verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it's written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've begot, begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption, For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Paul tells his hearers that Jesus was sent for you, but The prophets spoke of him. You heard the prophets every week, and yet you didn't recognize him. And so you ended up fulfilling the prophecies by condemning him, is what he says. Even though he was predicted, uh, they asked Pilate to execute him. So Jesus was crucified and buried, but God raised him, verse 30 says. This is probably the key verse, but, but God raised him from the dead. This is the, the high point of his sermon, um, that, that, that Jesus was raised from the dead, and the proof is there are many that are still alive that saw him. So in their day, there were those who could give eyewitness testimony uh, to this, including uh, the disciples who followed him. This is good news. God has, he says, prof- he, God has fulfilled all of his promises that he made long ago in the story of salvation, and he's done it, verse 32, by raising Jesus. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he fulfilled to their children by raising Jesus. So, all the promise that you will be a light to the nations. All the promise that a new king would come and make all things new. That promise finds its exclamation point in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is his death and resurrection that is the climax of the story. He raised him from the dead. He didn't see decay, verse 35. He says, you will not let your holy one see decay, Psalm 16 said. David was buried and he, he, his body decomposed. But Jesus, that was not the case. He was raised to new life. He's the greater David because he did not remain buried. And as he stresses the resurrection, what we're going to see in the book of Acts is that this is the great point of contention. It is the talk of the resurrection that riles people up. And you know why? Because they get what it means, that he's proclaiming this one is God, this one is the Messiah, this one is the one who fulfills all the promises of God and the proof is the resurrection. So it stirs people up, we see. He's claiming that everything has changed because Christ is alive. And now he applies that to him, them. So the climax of the story is the cross and resurrection. Look at the offer of the story. This is the offer of the story of salvation. Verses 38 through 41. He makes an offer to them. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. It's the story of forgiveness. The story of salvation is the story of forgiveness, and that's the point he makes right here. It is the story of forgiveness. Through Jesus comes forgiveness of sins, and that produces a freedom. By him comes a freedom that does not come, he says, through obeying the law. But Jesus brings forgiveness and freedom. He brings the life we were created for. We long to have a clear conscience. We long, our our longing is to have someone know us intimately, to know every detail of us and yet love us in spite of that and that's exactly what God does. He knows everything about us. He sends his son to die for us and as we receive Christ, we receive his love in spite of our many sins. This produces what he says here, a sense of forgiveness. The famed uh, psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said, Uh, roughly quoting, uh, he said that uh, if his patients could only know forgiveness for their sins, 75% of them would no longer need psychiatric care. His point was the people I treat, the great burden of their lives is not living up to what they want to live up to, what they know they should live up to. And it is the coming of forgiveness of sins in Christ, Paul says, that gives this freedom of soul that can be found in no other way. It cannot be find, found by obeying the law. It only becomes through Jesus. The last lines of the song uh, I referred to earlier, what was I made for? Again, just or, or kind of this, this faint hope, but it's so faint. She says, I think I forgot how to be happy. Something I'm not, but something I can be. Something I wait for. Something I'm made for. Something I'm made for. This longing to find your place, your happiness. She says, it's something I'm waiting for this to happen to me. And I have this sense that that's what I was made for. And that's exactly what the Scripture would teach, that the loss of innocence in the fall in Genesis 3, the the introduction of sin brought the loss of purity to humans, the loss of holiness to humans. And by doing so, it brought the loss of freedom. We are enslaved to our own, writing our own story. We're enslaved to ourselves. We're enslaved to our own autonomy. That is the first sin. Eve says, I will not serve you, God. Adam says, I do not want to serve you, God. We will be free, autonomous beings, and it does not produce freedom to live apart from God. It produces slavery so that we lose our sense of purpose and why am I here and what is my purpose? And happiness is only a sort of faint hope for me. But Jesus comes to forgive sins and to bring freedom, this passage says. Look at verse 38. Let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. They tried to obey the law. But the story of salvation that he told was, you never obeyed the law, folks. I mean, I did the greatest salvation miracle for you possible, humanly speaking, bringing you outside of Egypt, outside of slavery, and you instantly are turning on me and complaining about me. I brought you into the land that I gave you, and as soon as you get there and set up shop in the gift of the land, you start chasing the gods of the nations around you and forgetting all about me. Of course, you never fulfilled the law, but now there's a way to have freedom without fulfilling the law yourself. There's a note by this word freed, you may have a little footnote by it, and it says it's the word often translated justified. He's saying that everyone who believes in Jesus is justified in the way that the law of Moses, like keeping the rules, keeping the law, God's law, could not justify. Justify means to be declared right with God. And he's reviewed their lengthy story, and he said, the law cannot produce righteousness. You could not be right with God by your performance. We're all performative. We all, want to, uh, we all want to assess ourselves and even ourselves before God by our performance. But they could not keep the law. As David Garland says, the law cannot produce righteousness, only demand it. The law was there every step of the way, reminding them of how they had failed. The law they sought to obey actually condemned them because they did not fulfill it. But now God has sent his own son to die, to live perfectly, to die and to be raised so that they could receive freedom. Jesus is raised so that those who have faith in him are right with God, not by our performance, but by the performance of Jesus How glorious is that, that we're accepted by God, not by what we do, but by what Christ has done in our place. It's the great news that freedom and forgiveness comes through Jesus, that through Jesus we can receive a new life and the promise that Jesus will return and make all things new. Yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, we struggle even though we know Christ today. Yes, we know darkness and emptiness in our own lives as believers in Jesus Christ at periods of time, for sure, for we live in a fallen world. But we live with that sure promise that he will return and make all things new. And that brings hope today in our lives. Well, the story doesn't end with resurrection. It ultimately ends with recreation of a new heaven and new earth. If you read through the Bible, that's what you come to. And he warns them not to miss this. Verse 40, beware lest what is said in the prophets, this is from Habakkuk, that what is said there come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe even if one tells it to you. So he's saying, look, I'm telling you what Christ has done. Don't miss out on this, Paul's saying. Don't miss the story, the history, God's character, God's faithfulness, and how he is providing salvation through Jesus Christ, how you can receive forgiveness and freedom, the longing of every heart. Well, let's close by looking at what's the reaction of the people who hear this. So that was um, the offer of the story. This is the reaction of the story of salvation. Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So there's mixed reactions. Some people beg them, please come back next Saturday, next Sabbath, and tell us more about this. So the next week, the whole city shows up. That means Gentiles are there. So everybody's showing up, Jews and Gentiles. Everybody wants to hear what this, um, what this is, is all about. They come to hear the gospel, and it says the Jews are jealous of the crowds, and so they begin to contradict Paul and Barnabas. Verse 45, they reviled them which means they insulted them. They, they not only disagreed with their points and their arguments, they made it personal and uh, uh, insulted them. So Paul and Barnabas said, look, we were called to bring you the word, so I showed up in the synagogue and preached the word, but if you are going to reject it, then we are gonna go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are thrilled with this news. They're all celebrating the gospel, this good news, we can get in on this. This good news is for us about Jesus and many of them believed. How many believed? Well, 48 says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It's where the whole story started. Verse 17, he said, God chose our forefathers. God looked over all the planet and went to Abraham. We don't know why, but he said, from you, I'm going to make a people and so people hear the gospel, and who responds? Those whom God has appointed to eternal life respond. Those who are chosen is what he's actually saying. What a profound identity is revealed here. What greater identity could you have than chosen by God? What could be greater? Sinner running your own way, person who rejected God, person who deserves eternal condemnation, chosen by God. Loved by God. And and God opens their hearts evidently. They believe. This is how our story connects with God's story. When you identify as chosen by God, you are connected to this long history of what God is doing in the planet. God chose me. What, What was I made for? I was made for him. That's the big Christian answer. We're made for him. And we are redeemed by Jesus for him. And that's what Luke tells us happens here. Paul and Barnabas are driven away. And in a shocking reversal, this is really shocking, verse 51. They're with the Jewish people. They're preaching the gospel. They, many of them reject it. Some accept it. And so they leave them. And it says, as they leave, they shake the dust off their feet. It is a role reversal. This is what you did when you came into Israel. When you left gentile land you would shake the dust off your feet so that you didn't track in gentile uncleanliness gentile dust into god's land and here paul is standing among the jewish people and he's shaking the dust off his feet because they have rejected jesus in this moment and he's saying i'm going to the people of god who who will receive jesus christ now there's hope for them uh, they may believe later, he's not writing them off permanently, but he's making this statement that apart from Christ, the only way to be clean, it was shaking the unclean dust off your feet, the only way to be clean is in Jesus. And it does not matter whether you were Jew or Gentile, we're only declared right, justified, freed, we're only declared clean in Jesus. It's a, it's a profound image that must have shocked them. Story that Paul tells is the great story that we're all invited into, regardless of your background. These are Gentiles, people that were outside of God's people. It does not matter if you're from a religious background or a non-religious background. It doesn't matter if you're from a moral background trying to keep the rules or an immoral background. It does not matter what your story's history is. God calls you to turn to Jesus and to believe and to be connected to the God who created you, to have your sins forgiven by believing in Jesus Christ. Your greatest need today is forgiveness. None of us have kept God's law, and if we're honest, we all know that. We all have a sense of guilt. Deep down inside, we all have a sense of true, not false, but true guilt before God, and we deal with our guilt in a thousand different ways. Some of them are we think are good ways to deal with our guilt, like coming to church. Like, okay, I had a really bad week, so I better go to church tomorrow. Uh, last, you know, you think last night, I'm going to church, that's supposed to be raining, but I had a really bad week, so I better go. Somehow this atones for my sins. If I do good things, I did something really bad, I really hurt someone, so I better go do something really good to someone else, and that'll sort of make up. So that's, a, that's trying to answer the guilt in our souls by doing good, by keeping the law. Some of us deal with the guilt in our souls the other way, by doing things that are escapist, we're really there's a deep sense of a- a- angst and guilt in our soul, and so we drink until we don't feel it or think it anymore. We eat until we are comforted. We uh, we plunge ourselves into sexual sin, um, so until we. We deal with the guilt is there. We spend money. We buy what, until we somehow feel I'm, I'll be okay if I own this, that, or the other. So we can deal with this sense of guilt by what the culture would look at and say there's a positive things or negative things. But the only way to deal with guilt is to come to the one who forgives our sin, and that's Jesus, to receive his freedom. What were you made for? You were made to connect with God the God who created you. You do that by believing in the Savior he sent to die for you. And that gives you the freedom that you never could have attained on your own because you could never keep all the rules. You could never please God with your conduct. You can't perform enough to be accepted by God, but Jesus has done for you what you never could do for yourself. So where do you need forgiveness and freedom today? there's one place to go, and it's, it's Jesus Christ to ask for forgiveness. Where do you need freedom today? Where are you enslaved in some way, captive to your appetites and the habits and the patterns that you can't get free from? Come to Christ. Where are you trying to atone for a guilty conscience by doing some kind of good works, what you perceive as good works? Listen, don't rely on good works. Come to Jesus. Where are you turning to other things to dull your conscience, to dull this sort of ache that's in there? You know, folks that experience this kind of ache and come to the Lord, I I don't make comments about the song I did in any way to disparage the authors in any way. I, I actually respect the honesty of putting that kind of art out, which says I'm searching and I'm longing. I respect that the honesty of that. Um, So I'm not disparaging anyone, but I I do want to give the promise that Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast them away. In all of your emptiness, in all of your despair, in all of your doing good to sort of make yourself right with God, turn from all of that and come to him. He will never cast you away. He welcomes you with mercy and patience. If the story of salvation from the Old Testament says anything, It's that God is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to those who break their promises. God is gracious to the sinner. God comes after the one who runs away from him with mercy and compassion and grace. Don't turn from this God. Beware of what the prophets say. Receive him today and turn to him afresh. We're going to do that as we come to communion to close. Man, this is a coming to the table that says, God, I'm coming to the table because this is forgiveness of sins, what you've done for me. I'm coming to the table because this is the only freedom that exists in a world where there is no true freedom. I'm coming to the table today because this is the only answer to my guilty conscience, not receiving communion, the act itself. It's not like I did the act and so now I feel better. It's what the act connects us to, the work of Jesus Christ. It's what it represents. It's what spiritually is true and real about it that Jesus has died and risen so that our sins can be forgiven. So the story of salvation, the climax is the death and resurrection of Christ, which we celebrate now. The offer is to come to him, come to the table, turn from your sin and believe, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. The pathway is the same, repent and believe. Turn to him, and the reaction of the story is some went their other way. Some wanted nothing to do with this but others came and received freely. And the chapter closes, and they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The answer to the angst of our souls, to the despair of our souls, to the sort of casual desperation that we live with, the answer is the joy that is only found in the Holy Spirit. He applies the work of Christ to us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.